Greetings from the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. I remain the voice of one, crying in the wilderness of this life and world. Men to repentance, seeking that men make every care to prepare their hearts for the return of the Lord into their hearts. We continue from where we stopped the last time we met, and we want to continue with the global theme of hearing from God, causing the reasons why men mistake the voice of God for the voice of man. We, we began to look at the fundamental issues regarding why men mistake the voice of God uh, for the voice of man. We mentioned there were, some, there were two broad categories of reasons that we looked at last time, where the environmental, and then we are going to be looking at the personal factors uh, in this broadcast. For us to do that today, we will return to the scriptures, First uh, Samuel chapter 3, verse 1 to 10. First Samuel chapter 3, verse 1 to 10. Now the boy Samuel ministered to the Lord before Eli, and the word of the Lord was rare in those days. There was no widespread revelation. And it came to pass at that time, while Eli was lying down in his place, and when his eyes had begun to grow so dim that he could not see, and before the lamp of God went out in the tabernacle of the Lord, where the ark of God was, and while Samuel was lying down, that the Lord called Samuel, and he answered, Here I am. So he ran to Eli and said, Here I am, for you called me. And he said, I did not call. Lie down again. And he went and lay down. Then the Lord called yet again, Samuel. So Samuel arose and went to Eli and said, Here I am, for you called me. And said, I did not call my son. Lie down again. Now Samuel did not yet know the Lord nor was the word of the Lord yet revealed to him. And the Lord called Samuel again the third time. So he arose and went to Eli and said, Here I am, for you did call me. Then Eli perceived that the Lord had called the boy. Therefore Eli said to Samuel, Go lie down, and it shall be, if he calls you, that you must say, Speak, Lord, for your servant hears. So Samuel went and lay down in his place. Now the Lord came and stood and called as at other times, Samuel, Samuel. Samuel answered, Speak, for your servant hears. The Lord bless the reading of his word in Jesus' name. Amen. We have seen from the last podcast the matter of the rarity of the word of God, the scarcity of the word of God in the, in the environment, the rarity or scarcity of widespread revelation, as in verse 1, and then verse 2 talks about Eli lying down in his own place, which we ascribe to the lethargy, the laid-back da- laid attitude of church leadership, and that his eyes were beginning to grow so dim that he could not see, and we attribute that to, be, to that of lack of vision. But to look at the personal part, because sometimes we tend to just place all the blame on the church of God. We place all the blame on church leadership and seek not to take a portion of that blame. The blame is not only environmental. The reasons are also personal. So we want to turn our attention to the personal reasons now. In the first few lines, first few words in First Samuel chapter 3, verse 1, we find a major personal reason why people mistake the voice of God for the voice of man. The Bible starts by saying, Now the boy Samuel ministered to the Lord before Eli. It says that Samuel was a boy. Samuel the boy 
ministered unto the Lord before Eli. The operational word there is boy. So Samuel, though he was ministering to the Lord under the guidance of Eli, was immature. So a major personal reason why people mistake the voice of God for the voice of man is spiritual immaturity. Even though Samuel was ministering to the Lord before Eli, he was nonetheless a boy. He was immature. There are many people today who are engaging in ministry, but they are boys. Now, this is not a derogatory statement. It is a statement that seeks to emphasize the need for spiritual maturity before people are set to sit over churches. I know the usual adage is, oh, don't worry, they'll grow into it. But God forbid, mistakes may have been made that would mar or scar people forever. So let us, let us understand that we need to get ourselves to the place of spiritual maturity before we can even start saying that we want to minister the word of God. And it is important because if not, we will not be able to hear from God. And if we are not able to hear from God or decipher what God is saying, then we are going to cause mayhem and damage in the ministry. Let's look at Hebrews chapter 5. Hebrews chapter 5. The, the writer of Hebrews was actually communicating with the Hebrews concerning the place of the Lord Jesus Christ. And the writer was telling his audience that, look, Jesus Christ cannot and should not even be compared to angels because he is greater than angels. Not even to Moses because he's greater than Moses. Not even to Aaron and his priesthood because he's far greater than them. And then he now mentions the, a portion where he talks about the, the Lord Jesus Christ being in the order of the priesthood of Melchizedek. So let's read from there. Hebrews chapter 5, verse 9 through to verse 14. And having been perfected, let's talk about Jesus Christ here. He became the author of eternal salvation to all who obey him, called by God as high priest according to the order of Melchizedek, of whom we have much to say and hard to explain since you have become dull of hearing. The writer is here saying, look, I want to say a lot about both Melchizedek and the Lord Jesus Christ particularly and what links them together. But they are hard to explain, particularly where people are dull of hearing. And then it goes on in verse 12 to say, for though by this time, He's telling us why he's saying that these people are dull of hearing. He said, for though by this time you ought to be teachers, you need someone to teach you again the first principles of the oracles of God. And you have come to need milk and not solid food. God expects us, having been born again, to now grow, to mature in the things of God. We need to move from the place where we came in as babes mature and are now able to teach others as well. We are not going to remain babes forever. In fact, God does not expect, he expects us to grow. Nobody expects a baby to remain a baby for 16 years, 20 years, 30 years. I mean, it, it, it will bring shame to the parents. So God expects that after, after, after some time, we ought to be teaching. But then we have a problem. So he says, that for time when you are to be teachers, you need someone to teach you again the first of foundational principles of the oracles of God. And you have come to need milk and not solid food. Like babies, they just keep taking milk. But a time must come when you must take solid food, when you must be able to eat the bones. You must be able to crack those bones. You must be able to take those things that challenge you to grow spiritually. 
in verse 13 says, For everyone who partakes only of milk is unskilled in the word of righteousness. For he is a babe. God expects us to have the skills to be able to deal with the word of righteousness, rightly dividing it, correctly interpreting it, and practically living it in our lives. In verse 14 says, But solid food belongs to those who are of full age, those who are mature, that is, those who by reason of use or application have their senses exercised, their spiritual senses now exercised to discern both good and evil. We have people who have been long in church as Christians and yet they cannot decipher between what is good and what is evil, between what is right and what is not right, between what is righteous and what is ungodly. And that should not be the case. We ought to mature. We ought to get to spiritual maturity. And when we are babies like that, we cannot discern whether God is speaking or not, or whether what we are doing is right or wrong. And we end up doing the wrong things and even justify and defend them. If we move to, if we cross over to chapter 6, verse 1 and 2, it says, Therefore, leaving the discussion of the elementary principles of Christ, the foundational principles, they are elementary. We should not be teaching people who have spent 12, 15, 16 years on the earth. We're teaching them elementary one stuff. They ought to have grown by now into middle school or high school at best. And then some others should have entered into the university. And so they should be able to be mature. We shouldn't be talking about small, small spiritual things all over again. So talking about the elementary principles of Christ, it says, let us go on to perfection or maturity, not laying again the foundation of repentance from dead works and of faith toward God, of the doctrine of baptisms, of laying on of hands, of resurrection of the dead, and of eternal judgment. The six things mentioned here, repentance from dead works, faith towards God, doctrine of baptisms, doctrine of laying on of hands, doctrine of resurrection of the dead, and doctrine of eternal judgment are what the Bible considers the fundamental, foundational principles of Christ. Every believer ought to go through these foundational principles, ought to know it, ought to be able to live it. Otherwise, you are not mature. So let me very briefly, as best as I can, give a rundown of this. It starts by talking of the repentance from dead works. I must make a distinction between repentance from sin and repentance from dead works. Repentance from sin is what brought us into salvation. Now, having come into salvation, the first foundation that must be laid in our lives is repentance from dead works. Repentance, of course, is to turn away from a wrong course and turn into something right. What are we repenting from? We are repenting from dead works. Dead works are wrong. Good works are the right thing. So what are dead works? Dead works is a term to describe any work, any activity that is not initiated by God, that is not authorized by God, and that God is not engaged actively in prosecuting. It is called dead works. So for example, if you are building a church, that God did not ask you to build, as laudable as that might be, it will be considered dead works. For instance, David desired to build God a temple, build God a house. And God said, no, you're not going to build it. Your son Solomon will do that. As laudable a thing as it is that it got into the heart of David to build a temple for God. And God says, no, you are not to build it. If David had gone on to build it, it would be considered dead works. Because it was not initiated by God. In Matthew chapter 7, verse 21 through to 23, the Lord Jesus said that what is important is not 
the people who are saying, Lord, Lord, but those who are doing the will of his Father. He says, in the last day, many people will come and say to him, we pray by the authority that is in your name, we cast out demons, we work many miracles. He said, but I'll say to them, depart from me. I never, I never knew you. Why would he say that? Because he did not initiate their prophesying. He, did, he was not engaged in their casting out of demons. He was not the one who authorized the miraculous signs that they were doing. He said, I, don't, I never knew you. So what he, the Bible is saying here is that our initial, we must be able to understand that there are works that are dead and there are works that are good. The reason why this is now prevalent, where we have a prevalence of dead works, they seem to be active, but they are dead, is because people have not even come to this foundational understanding that it is not everything you do that is acceptable unto God. So we must repent from it. That's the first layer. The second layer is faith toward God. Having repented from dead works, we must now trust God to lead us into good works, to lead us into doing things that he wants, things that are acceptable unto him. We can no longer trust in our own understanding. We can no longer trust our ability to make money and so on and so forth to do the work of God. No. And that's why we have so many things. People are engaging in projects and now beginning to go around having to raise money for one thing or the other because God did not initiate it. Anything that God initiates, and authorizes, he will be actively involved in. God does not give you an assignment to do and then leave you to yourself. He is actually actively engaged in it. The Bible tells us, I think that's, that's, that must be Matthew 28, verse 20, and then Mark 16, to the, the, the last verse or so, that as they went to do the work of God, the Lord was, with, was walking with them, with signs and wonders following. God does not ask you to do something and then back down and now say, you go and do it on your own. No. If you need to, if, he, if God wants money raised for that work, he will give you the basis for which you will raise the money. You will not be beggarly. And he would have put funds in the hands of the people that will support. And they will not be arrogant about it. Then there's the doctrine of baptisms. There are actually four baptisms that every believer must go through. To be baptized is to be immersed in something. So one is the baptism into the body. The Holy Spirit, when you are born again, the Holy Spirit baptizes you into the body of Christ more specifically, into a particular local assembly. It is not the one of your choice. It is the one of his choosing. Because in the local assembly where he puts you, that is where you are going to be fed, and that is where you are going to feed others. That is where you are going to grow, and that is where you are going to groom others. He is a basis for all of these things. We just don't jump ahead and do whatever we want to do. The second baptism is the one that people commonly know, and that is the, that's what they call water baptism, or the Christian baptism. This is basically a physical demonstration of a spiritual truth. What is the spiritual truth? The spiritual truth is that we have been translated from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of light. We are no longer subject to the vagaries of the world. We are now subject to Christ himself. So what we are saying when we do water baptism is that we are dead to the world, we are dead to Satan, we have no business with them, now we are alive to Christ and we are alive to the body of Christ. We, our allegiance is to God and to the church. Then there's the baptism in the Holy Spirit, which is evidenced by speaking in tongues. This is where we are dipped, as it were, immersed, baptized into the Spirit of God. He takes over completely. And he's the one who now begins to direct us and move us to do things, stir us to do things which he himself is doing through us. We become the embodiment, as it were, the encasement in which the Spirit of God dwells in. And by so doing, Christ and the Father are indwelling you. 
You are supposed to be the temple of the Lord. It is not a mere word. It is a reality where Christ and the Father and the Spirit of God are bodily indwelling you. And so you are doing the work of God because they are the ones indwelling you and doing it. That is why Paul wrote and said in Galatians chapter 2 verse 20. He said, I have been crucified. It is no longer I that live, but Christ that lives in me. The life that I now live, I live by the faith of the Son of God. Then there's the baptism. The fourth one is the baptism of suffering or baptism by fire. Where you are put into a place of testing. Not temptation now. A place of testing to build you up, to groom you. I think it's in 1 Peter chapter 1. Where the Bible says that when we, when we encounter these challenges, it is our faith that is being tested as gold is refined in fire. To see whether our faith is truly genuine. So we face life's challenges. Romans chapter 5, 3 and 4 tells us that we can rejoice when we face tribulations and trials because they are good for us in the sense that they make us to learn perseverance, to learn endurance. And that gives rise to being able to build character in us, integrity, the ability to stand in the face of life's challenges. But because people are not going through these foundational things and are not living by it, they get into all manner of challenges and some of them leave Christianity completely. Others turn into other things completely and they claim to it that, well, you know, I don't like this other church because they are too strict in that place. I want a place where there's liberty. That's what they say, liberty. But basically what it is, is liberalism. There's a difference between liberty and liberalism. Liberty is freedom from sin. Liberalism is freedom to do whatever you want to do, including sin. God did not call us to liberalism. God called us to liberty. Then there's the doctrine of the laying on of hands. There's, there's something about hand laying on of hands. You don't tender your head to every hand to be laid upon it. You have been put in that body and you have a spiritual authority over you. He can lay hands on you. He can pray for you. He can ordain you. But you don't go all over the place seeking somebody to lay hands on you. Do you know where they have been? Do you know who their God is? Do you know who they are? But you go and submit your head and you say to them, lay hands on me. For what purpose? And then on the other hand, those who are laying hands, the Bible says, lay hands suddenly on no man. You cannot just be ordaining people just because you say, oh, you want to start a church here. You want to start a church there. Do you know them? Have you been able to raise them to be men of character? Can you attest to them before God? I'm not talking about before men. Before God, when you're standing before God, can you say, I truly know this brother. Lord, you told me to ordain this fellow. Can you say that? If you cannot say that, you have no business laying hands on him. You can lay hands on people to consecrate them for ministry, to pronounce a blessing on them. Even at that, you cannot do a blank, a blank check blessing in the church. You see people who have, who have lived like Satan from Monday through to Saturday. Then you come in on Sunday and say, you are blessed. For what purpose? What is that pronouncement all about? Is it going to change the fact that they are living a sinful life? Absolutely not. It's not going to change that fact. So these are things that we need to understand. Then there's the doctrine of the resurrection of the dead, which we don't even teach. So many people are afraid of death. They would rather live. So we even have pastors who always preach praying. Let us pray against untimely death. I am not saying that there's wrong, nothing, there's something wrong in praying that prayer. But we must understand that untimely death does not have anything to do with age. Untimely death is a life that has not reached where God expects for it to reach and then it fizzles out. If you are walking with God and you are truly committed to God, you cannot have untimely death. Untimely death is for those people who say they are Christians but are disobedient to God. 
There's those people who say that they are Christians, but have decided not to follow the leading of the Spirit of God. But if you're a child of God, at any point that death comes, it is not untimely. For example, when the Lord Jesus died, he was, he was 33 years old. It's not untimely. He has, his work had been finished. He said it is finished. So we don't, we don't get into this whole thing of untimely because we know that when we do die, in fact, for the Christian, he doesn't die. He's merely translated from this world into eternity. So there must be some joy in our hearts when that time comes. Paul wrote somewhere. He said, I'm caught between two opinions, whether to go and be with the Lord or to remain and be a blessing to you. To remain is a, is, is a good thing for you, but for me, it is better that I go to be with the Lord. However, I know that God wants me to stay here a little longer so that I can be a blessing on you. And so he opted to stay. Everybody who dies resurrects. There's a first resurrection of every believer. Now there's a second resurrection, which is of all those who are not believers, and that second resurrection is taking them to eternal judgment. That brings us to the doctrine of eternal judgment. When we talk about the doctrine of eternal judgment, there are two judgments that will take place. There's the judgment seat of Christ, where every Christian who sleeps in the Lord and has tasted of the first resurrection will stand and his works will be tested. His motives for the works will be tested. His thoughts will be tested. His speech will be tested. Even the ones that he said in an unguarded manner will be tested. And there will be rewards given. That, that is the judgment seat of Christ. Now, when the second resurrection takes place, there is going to be of all those who died apart from Christ. They are now going to sit, face the judgment seat of God. That is the great white throne judgment. Anybody whose name is not written in the Lamb's book of life is going to stand at the great white throne judgment to receive a sentence. This is not the place for appeals. This is not the place for begging. The time for begging, the time for appeals is now that you have life. The breath of life in you. But after a man is dead, that's it. The Bible says it's appointed unto men once to die. After that comes the judgment. The Bible makes it very clear to us that we must seek to serve God acceptably. Spiritual maturity requires that we focus on growing in God. In 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 2. 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 2. The Bible tells us that like newborn babes, we are to desire the sincere milk of the word, the sincere word of God, not an adulterated word of God, so that we can grow thereby. Even babies, little babies, they know the difference between their mother's breast milk and any other milk that you are, you are bringing. If you give them the, 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 another milk apart from their mother's breast milk, they will throw it away. They will hunger and long for it, and that's what God wants us to do. He, he wants us to long after his word, to seek for his word. The Bible tells us in Ecclesiastes chapter 10, 16 and 17, Ecclesiastes 10, 16 and 17, it says, Woe to those people whose princes are children who wake up in the morning to feast. Woe to the church whose ministers, whose pastors are boys, are spiritually immature. But blessed, it says, is the land whose princes are mature. They are adults. They eat at the appropriate time for strength and not for revelries. Blessed is that church whose pastors, whose leaders are mature, who are imbibing the word of God so that they can give it out to their own people. We need to grow spiritually. We need to be mature spiritually. We need to get ourselves to the place where we ourselves can grow and give to others that which we have been given. In 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 2, 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 2, the Bible encourages us that that which we have heard 
which we have learned and we are now living, we should be able to commit it to faithful men who also will be able to teach others this word of God. We must not bring ourselves to the place where we are unable to pass anything on, where we are, we are like pipe seas, draining, just draining things away, rather than accumulating things and passing on to other people. That's the first one, spiritual immaturity. The second personal reason, I'll go to 1 Samuel chapter 3, verse 7. In verse 7 it says, Now Samuel did not yet know the Lord, nor was the word of the Lord yet revealed to him. Two things are here stated. Firstly, is the, is the fact that he didn't know God. In other words, he, not only did he not know God, the word for knowledge there has to do with intimacy. He did not know him by head knowledge, and he was not even intimate with God. If he had known God, he would have been able to know that God can speak, but he didn't know that God spoke. He probably thought that God was just for some nebulous thing somewhere and that it was Eli who would speak for God. But he didn't know that God spoke. So because he had, didn't have that knowledge, he was not even prepared to even consider that what the voice he was hearing was the voice of God. In Jeremiah chapter 9, verse 23 and 24, Jeremiah chapter 9, verse 23 and 24, the Bible makes it absolutely clear that if we are going to boast in anything, we should boast in the fact that we know God. That God is a God of loving kindness, a God of judgment, and a God of righteousness. He says, don't boast in your wisdom. Don't boast in your position or your might. Don't boast in your wealth. If you are going to boast, boast in the fact that you know God, that you understand and you know him. I think it's A.W. Tozer who said that whenever he looks at something in the word of God, he wants to know why is that thing there. He says because a generation that does not seek to know why God put certain things in the Bible will give birth to a generation that will not read the Bible. In fact, we are at that place now where there are many people who don't even care to read the Bible. And then there are those who don't even know why anything is there. So we have a situation where there's so much chaos. But God says, I want you to know me. In Joshua chapter 24, verse 14 to 24. Joshua 24, verse 14 to 24. When Joshua was about to depart this world, he gave somewhat of a valedictory speech in which he challenged Israel to seek God, to serve God and him alone. Let me read it from verse 14. Now therefore, fear the Lord, serve him in sincerity and in truth, and put away the gods which your fathers served on the other side of the river and in Egypt. Serve the Lord. And if it seems evil to you to serve the Lord, choose for yourselves this day whom you will serve, whether the gods which your fathers served that were on the other side of the river or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you dwell. But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. So the people answered and said, Far be it from us that we should forsake the Lord to serve other gods. For the Lord our God is he who brought us and our fathers up out of the land of Egypt from the house of bondage and who did those great signs in our sight and preserved us in all the way that we went and among all the people through whom we passed. And the Lord drove out from before us all the people, including the Amorites, who dwelled in the land. We also will serve the Lord, for he is our God. As Joshua was challenging them and saying, if you won't serve God, go and choose other God, but me and my house will serve God. They said, no, we also, not only you, we also will serve God. And they began to enumerate the things that God had done for them. 
And that was a wrong basis on which they were going to serve God. And Joshua makes note of that particular thing. In verse 19, the Bible says, But Joshua said to the people, You cannot serve the Lord, for he is a holy God. You cannot serve God on the basis of, God did this for me, God did that for me. Do you know his character that he's a holy God? Do you know, like he says here, that he's a jealous God? Do you know that he will not forgive your transgressions nor your sins if you do it deliberately? You don't know that. So many people sin and say, don't worry, I ask forgiveness from God. When you do that, you are sinning deliberately. The sin that God forgives is the sin that you are not aware of. But as you know, you have been warned by the Spirit of God not to do it. And then you do it. My brother, my sister, only the Holy Spirit can show you mercy there. We need to know God. It is the lack of knowledge of God that is making us act the way we are acting. So that's what Joshua is telling to the people here. In verse 20, he says, If you forsake the Lord and serve foreign gods, then he will turn and do you hurt and consume you after he has done you good. Many of us don't know that. We think God is always doing good. Don't we? The, the fact that God may be silent while you are doing iniquity does not mean that he doesn't know what he's doing. He's just not ready for you yet. And I'm praying, it, and we don't know that it is of God's mercy that he overlooks some of this, or rather, he's just waiting patiently that you might change your ways before it is too late for you. The Bible says, I think it's in Proverbs 29 verse 1, it says, the man who is often rebuked and still hardens his heart will suddenly be broken, and that without remedy. Don't get yourself to the place where God will wash his hands off you. This is a warning to all of us. We need to know the God we are dealing with. Don't let anybody fool you and present a Father Christmas. The God that we are dealing with is a God of righteousness, a God of holiness, a God that is jealous. He cannot share you with anybody. Jealous, the jealousness of God is not the kind of jealousy of man. It's a jealousy in which he doesn't want to share you with money. He doesn't want to share you with your position. He doesn't want to share you with title. He doesn't want to share you with ego. He doesn't want to share you with fame. He doesn't want to share you with the world. He wants you and you alone. In verse 21, and the people said to Joshua, No, but we will serve the Lord. So Joshua said to the people, You are witnesses against yourselves that you have chosen the Lord for yourselves to serve him. And they said, We are witnesses. Look at verse 23. It says, Now therefore, he said, Put away the foreign gods which are among you and incline your heart to the Lord God of Israel. Can you imagine? These same people who were saying, No, but we will serve God. They still have foreign gods in their midst. And Joshua was telling them, Put it away. Like many of us say, No, but I know God, but I want to serve God. What of your love for money? Have you dealt with it? What of your love for position? Have you dealt with it? What of your love for the world? Have you dealt with it? You cannot serve God because you don't know him. You need to know God. That it is all or nothing with God. It is all or nothing with God. In verse 24, And the people said to Joshua, The Lord our God we will serve and his voice we will obey. But we know that they did obey the voice of God. Because the book of Judges is replete with apostasy in Israel. Redemption and then apostasy and then redemption, prosperity, apostasy. Then they, they enter into poverty and then they come back to God again. It's replete because they did not obey God. We need to know God. In Psalm 103 verse 7, Psalm 103 verse 7, the Bible says that God made his ways known to Moses. Moses knew the ways of God. But the children of Israel merely saw his acts. The children of Israel saw the end. Moses saw the preparation, saw the beginning, saw the, he understood why God was doing what he was doing. So many saw the results. They didn't even know why he was doing what he was doing. But when you come to know God, you will understand why he's doing what he's doing. 
Your heart will not fret even when you see the challenges of life around you because you know him. You know the love of God. You know that God did not save you to come and destroy you. You know that God saved you to show his love in you and through you to tell other people that the way I love this one is the way I want to love you too. Come. We need to understand those things. In Philippians chapter 3 verse 7 to 14, I won't, won't, won't be reading many of these things. Please go back to the Bible and read it yourself. Paul said, I have counted everything that I own as rubbish. My title, my position, my pedigree, my ancestry, everything rubbish. So that I can win or gain Christ. I have considered Christ over and every over. My knowledge, my wanting to have fellowship with God, my wanting to have intimacy with Christ. I consider it greater than any other achievement that I have I've had. And I continue with that. He says, I want to know him. I want to know the power. I want to be intimate with him. That's what he's saying. I want to be intimate with him. I want to be intimate with the power that brought him back to resurrection. I want to be, I want to be a partaker of his sufferings. I want to be made conformable to the kind of death that he died. I want to attain to the resurrection of the dead. He said, I also want to know the reason for which he called me. How can we know these things if we don't know God? Is it not in the place of the knowledge of God that God will begin to reveal these things? Say, Do you know why I called you? Do you know why I chose you? This is the reason why I chose you. I want you to go to so-and-so place. I want to use you to reach the rest of the world. I want to reach you to use you to reach this group of people. I want you to go and manifest the love of God. Do you know why you suffer this, this challenge, this disaster at this time? It is because I want you to be able to reach out to the rest of the world with what I have done for you in your life so that it can be clear the things that I have done. If you don't know God, how can you know when he's speaking? In John chapter 10, the Lord Jesus was speaking here about... The, the sheep and the shepherd. It says the, the sheep, they know their shepherd. They will never follow a stranger. Now in old Israel, and I believe in modern Israel, the shepherds pull their sheep into a sheepfold. And then when it is between 3 a.m. and 5 a.m., that's when they take the sheep out. The shepherd will go in one after the other. The first one will go in and begin to speak and just walk around the sheepfold and be speaking. As he's speaking, the, his own flock will get up. The sheep will rise up. The other sheep will be lying down. His own sheep will get up and begin to follow him out. After he has gone, the second shepherd will come in and do the same thing. The sheep recognize the voice of the shepherd. These are animals that recognize the voice of the shepherd. How much more men that we should recognize the voice of God? He says, and because they know the voice of the shepherd, they will never follow a stranger. You can never be misled if you know God. When you know God, nobody can, no stranger is going to come and tell you something that is contrary to God and you'll be deceived. By the grace of God, you will not be deceived. Your knowledge of God is important and is part of your knowing the voice of God. Because when God speaks, you will know the character of the voice. You will know how he's speaking. You will know what he's really saying. You will know that this is God. You will know if something else comes and this is not God. You will never follow a stranger. In John chapter 12, verse 27 to 30, John 12, 27 to 30, the Lord Jesus is speaking. He says, Now my soul is troubled, and what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour, but for this purpose I came to this hour. Father, glorify your name. Then a voice came from heaven saying, I have both glorified it and will glorify it again. Therefore the people who stood by and heard the voice that is heard it said that it had thundered. Others said, an angel has spoken to him. They heard the voice of God. 
But one group said it thundered. Another group said an angel was speaking to Jesus. Look at what Jesus said in verse 30. Jesus answered and said, This voice did not come because of me, but for your sake. And yet they didn't understand or hear what he was saying. He came to tell them that I am glorifying my name. In other words, his death was not the reason, it was not because he was accursed. It was because he was glorifying God, and God was now glorifying his name by his death. But because people don't know God, they cannot appreciate the things that God is doing. The second thing that we mentioned now is the fact that people don't know God. People lack intimacy with God. They don't know him and they're not intimate with him. The third personal reason is also taken from that first Samuel chapter 3 verse 7. It says, not only did Samuel not know God, it says, nor was the word of God revealed to him. The word of God was not revealed to him. How is the word of God to be revealed? By teachings. So we can say that the third reason why many people are mistaking the, word, the, the voice of God for the voice of men is the lack of teaching of the word of God. Now, why is this important? It is in the written word of God that everything that God is going to tell you outside of the word is contained in. In other words, if God were to speak to you through a dream, or a vision, or an audible voice. Whatever he says must be must agree with the written word. So the written word is the yardstick, is the standard, is the canon by which every other word is to be judged. You therefore need to be taught this written word. You don't go to church to play. You don't go to church just to dance. You go to church to be taught the word of God, to imbibe the word of God, to learn and receive it and grow in it, and be practical in the word of God. In Acts chapter 8, verse 26 to 40, Acts chapter 8, verse 26 to 40, Philip had preached in Samaria, and after he had preached in Samaria, at some point in time, the Holy Spirit sent him to go to a road that passed through the desert. And along the way, he saw a chariot, the chariot of an Ethiopian eunuch, returning to Ethiopia. And the Holy Spirit told him, go and join yourself to that chariot. As he walked towards the chariot, he heard the man reading the scriptures. And he asked the man, do you understand what you are reading? The man said, how can I understand when there is no one to teach me? This was a man that went on pilgrimage. But there was nobody teaching him. He had questions, but there was nobody to put it right for him. We don't go to church just because we want to go and attend programs. Programs for what purpose? We are there to be taught. We didn't know God. We were sinners. Because we didn't even know what God required. Now that we have come to God and the church, we need to be taught about God and about his word. But alas, we're hearing something else in our churches. How you can be great. How you can make money. How you can prosper in financial terms. How we can compete with the world. That's not what the Bible is teaching. The Bible is teaching about righteousness. About peace. About joy in the Holy Ghost. He's speaking about the law for God, about obedience to the commandment of God. He's teaching about sanctification. He's teaching about what true grace means, and so on and so forth. As a result of Philip now joining that man and teaching him what he had heard. Along the way, the man saw a pool of water and said, please, is there anything that stops me from being baptized? Philip said, if you believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. He said, oh, of course, I believe that Jesus is the Son of God. I believe he's the Messiah. I believe he's the Lord. The man was baptized and he went his many way. 
happy that he had received salvation. There are many people coming to our churches who don't even understand anything. A pastor will, will speak on so many things and at the end now say, if you want to give your life to Christ, come forward. And people will come. For what purpose? What have you taught them about this salvation? And after that, nobody follows them up. No, there's no teaching on the new, the new lifestyle that they have entered into. So many of them are still smoking Indian hemp and they're in our churches. I meet them on the way. I go to their enclave and I see them there and they mention the names of big churches and the, and the pastor says he's a pastor. I'm not blaming the pastor exclusively, but I'm saying it is time for the churches to stop the charade that they call the gospel and enter into the proper gospel that teaches the cross of Jesus. It is by the cross of Jesus that sin is crushed and it is as a result after the cross that we enter into the sanctified life. We can no longer be the same before we came to the cross, after we have come to the cross. People must be taught the word of God. The Bible records in 2 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 3, about Israel. He said, there was a time when Israel was without God, they were without teaching priests, and they were without the law, that is the word of God. What a recipe for disaster. He said, at that time, nations fought against nations, city fought against city. Nobody had peace. There was turmoil all over the place. There was chaos everywhere. It mirrors what is happening today. The churches are without God. The churches are without teaching pastors, teaching people. The churches are without the word of God. So we can do concert because the world is also doing concert. We say we want to, want to pull crowd. What are you pulling the crowd for? What is the essence of the crowd? When the crowd cannot, when the people in the church cannot show kindness to their neighbors. What are we teaching our people in our churches? I heard once of a young man in a church working in an organization and he stole money. And, when, and they said he was a Christian. And when they probed the, the theft, they went to his home and discovered that he still had a mattress on the floor. He was living in one room. He didn't change his room. He didn't change. So they asked him, what did he use the money for? He said he gave it to the church. And you wonder, what was it that he was taught that made him steal money and bring to the church? Did they teach him that God accepts any kind of money? Did they not teach him the righteousness of God? What are we teaching in our churches? Brothers and sisters, you need to be taught the word of God. In 1 Timothy chapter 3, verse 2, 1 Timothy chapter 3, verse 2, the Bible makes it clear that one of the conditions for ordaining somebody a bishop is that he must be able to teach. You cannot be a pastor and every time all you are doing is preaching, preaching, preaching. You must be able to break down the word of God. Teach the word of God by the spirit of God, not by your head. In Ephesians chapter 4, verse 11 to 16, Ephesians 4, 11 to 16, the Bible says that the Lord Jesus appointed apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors and teachers so that they can teach the saints in the church to be able to serve God, to be able to do the work of ministry and they can edify, they can build their lives up. It says, and these teachings must continue until all of us, every one of us, come to the fullness of the measure of the stature of Christ unto a perfect man, unto a mature man, unto a complete man. We continue to teach, we continue to teach, we continue to learn until we get to the fullness, the place where Christ, our head, has arrived at. This is not a joking thing. This is something that is serious. When God calls you to serve, this is what he has called you to come and do. And then he goes on in verse 1, he says, so that we will not be tossed to and fro by every wind of doctrine brought in by the cunning craftiness of men of deceit and disrepute. But today we find so-called Christians running everywhere, carrying sand here, carrying oil there, taking handkerchief here. Take, what do they know of God? Nothing. 
What are we teaching them? Nothing. A person faces a challenge. He does not understand. He has not been taught that God will pass you through the challenges of life to strengthen you, to solidify you, to make you strong as a Christian so that you can stand and your faith can be proven to be genuine. Nobody has taught them. All we are teaching them is the happy-go-lucky fellow. We are teaching people to seek of the earth rather than the things of heaven. We are seeking people to be earthly rather than being heavenly. We are seeking them to be worldly rather than be spiritual. In Matthew chapter 28, verse 19 to 20. Matthew 28, 19 to 20. The Lord Jesus Christ spoke here. He says, Go therefore, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Ghost, teaching them to observe all things that I have commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. He challenged us to go and make disciples. The old King James says, teach all nations. Let us teach and make disciples for the Lord Jesus Christ. He said in verse 20, he says, in them to observe all things, not some, all things that I have commanded you. We cannot do with a partial gospel. We need a, a total package. We cannot sit down on one thing and abandon the other. Indeed, in Matthew chapter 13, verse 52, Matthew 13, verse 52, the Lord Jesus said, Therefore, every kingdom of heaven is like a householder who brings out of his treasure things new and old. Everyone who has been instructed to be able to teach from both the Old Testament and the New Testament. We must be able to marry the two together. Let us not forget that the Old Testament Bible, Jesus studied, the Old Testament Bible is what people like Paul, Peter, and the other apostles, the early church, that's what they had. We are, because now we have the New Testament, which is an explanation of many of the provisions in the Old Testament. But we must be able to teach the two. After teaching Leviticus, we must teach from Hebrews, because Hebrews largely explains a lot of the things in Leviticus. So the sacrifices are done away with, yes, but a life of holiness before God? Absolutely not. We must live a life of holiness. We must live a life of righteousness. It is what God wants from us. We need to go and teach. We have seen the fundamental reasons why men, the voice of God, for the voice of men. We broke them into two, environmental and personal. On the environmental, we the scarcity of the word of God. What's the solution? Our churches need to start teaching the word of God again. We spoke about the scarcity of the expo way out. We need to begin to seek God for revelation. We must teach from the point of view of divine revelation, not just from head, just to us. And we will now take it and begin to teach others. Then there is the lethargy of spiritual leadership. What's the way out? We must not rest on our oars. We must not think because our church has grown to a particular thing, we must continue to do things the way we were doing it. Sometimes God would ask you to, church will be pruned down completely. There's no need to have an obese body that is ineffective. And so God is particular leadership, awakening from sleep, getting up, arising, and doing what they ought to do. Then with the mental reason is um, the, the lack of vision of spiritual leadership. It is time for leaders in the church and begin to focus on what God is focusing on and leave out these things that men are pursuing. Many church leaders are now being led people they should be leading. They are the ones who come and say, oh, in this church, that's what they are doing. The leader does not, does not even have the blueprint of what to him because he is not even spending time with God. Once you are seeing a crowd, he's happy. Then we move to the personal one, which was what we did in this broadcast. Number one, what's the way out? We need to become spiritually mature. We need to get ourselves buried and immersed in the word of God. 
buried and immersed in which brings us to the second one, lack of knowledge of God. We're talking of intimacy here, not just knowledge, but intimacy with God. That God has not brought us into the kingdom so that we can play. He has brought us into the kingdom for intimacy so that we can know him and he can know us. He already knows us anyway. More and more to us. And so we need to get into the place of intimacy. And thirdly is the fact that there is a lot of teaching in the church of God. There's a lot of talking, a lot of drama, a lot of concert, but no teaching in the church of God. And because there's no teaching there, many people are not taught. Many of us are going to churches where we can, we can be made to feel good. A place where we are going to be taught the word of God is so crucial. How do you know how to live this life, this new life in Christ, where you need to be taught? So I want to challenge us as I close. In Luke chapter 24, verse 45, the Lord Jesus, after having spoken to his disciples, the Bible says, he opened their understanding. We need to take that matter to God in prayer and say, Lord, open my understanding. Let me understand the scriptures. Open my heart, O oh Lord. I want to see you. I want to meet with you, engage in intercourse with you. We need to cry to God like Paul cried, that I may know you, Lord. And then get rid of this childishness that we have in our hearts. Get serious with God. Get into his word. We ought to be teaching other thoughts. It's time to get away from the milk and get into strong meat. And until we meet again, let us take this matter of hearing from God seriously. God desires to speak to us, to be able to hear him with clarity. He doesn't want us like Samuel to be running all over the place, wondering who is calling us. They want us to know that he desires to have fellowship with us. So until then, keep on praying, seeking God's face, asking him to open your understanding heart so that he can fill you with his presence and his person. Until that time, God bless you.